You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Eugene as I'm in my office with a five o'clock meeting following up with Bose Nose Show, so we might cut it just a minute or two short so I can get into my meeting on time here uh, at the uh, Public Service Building for Lane County here at 125 East 8th Avenue in Eugene. And it's a typical day in the Northwest as it's been pouring cats and dogs on and off with a little bit of snow mixed in and then sunshine 10 minutes later. So (laughs) don't like the weather. Wait 10 minutes. It'll change here. So we've got a pretty busy show today in some ways. And I want to talk about brains. (laughs) Why am I going to talk about brains? Because People are talking about at what age should people be allowed to do things. And for me, that has a lot to do with when is your brain ready to do those things. So we're going to talk about brains on the Bose Nose Show, but we'll talk about anything you want to talk about. All you have to do is give us a call, 646-721-9887. Just press 1. That lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the show and you're not just calling in to listen because we do have some people that occasionally call in and listen on their cell phones. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Press 1, and we'll talk about what you want to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show, because you guys get to control the conversation, because I'm really here to answer your questions, talk about the issues you want to talk about. And, uh, you know, that's all about what the Bose Nose Show is about, is having a conversation But if people don't call in, I'll talk about what's happening in Lane County, what's happening in in Oregon, and uh, what's happening in the country, or I might talk about my poodles if no one calls in and I run out of things to say. So, again, you can call 646-721-9887. Just press 1. And you can always email us between shows at krbnradio.net. Again, that's talk at krbnradio.net. And you know we're also broadcasting live on Facebook on the KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page. So um, lots of ways to watch, and you can also interact on Facebook uh, in the comments section there. Robin tries to keep an eye on that, too, and she'll kind of interrupt me and and let me know if there's a Facebook uh, question that comes up. So speaking of brains, someone uh, named – state rep named Shamia um, Fagan came up with a brainchild at the request of some students to put in something called Senate Joint Resolution 22 and as the chief sponsor of it, I guess she might be a state senator, not a rep, um, 
to lower the voting age from 18 down to 16 in the state of Oregon for um, state and local elections. And of course, they can't do that on the for the federal elections because that takes federal law change right now. It's at 18 under the 26th Amendment, which passed during the uh, Vietnam War when it was so unpopular that we were drafting people into an unpopular war, but we weren't allowing them to vote um, at that time. But the premise is, is that a lot of public policy impacts teenagers, so why shouldn't they be allowed to vote? As some of them are pretty educated about civics, I would say that's some of them. If you're watching on Facebook, I'm holding my fingers just about an inch apart. Um, <laughs> Because, uh, you know, I, I've, you know, hosted teenagers uh, as exchange students from across the globe and um, got to meet a lot of teenagers that they became friends with that were U.S. citizens. And I can tell you this much, the teenagers from across the globe knew a whole lot more about civics and U.S. history than most of the U.S. teenagers of the same age. So, and that was mostly 17-year-olds because you know, the exchange students are all seniors in in high school, and the friends from class were all seniors in high school. So they're talking about going down to 16-year-olds. So why is the brain important in all this? You know, because the other contrary argument is there's a bill in the legislature that would actually raise the age of being able to purchase a firearm up to 21. And if folks remember from Bo's Nose shows a couple years ago, I was a major supporter of an effort to raise the age of purchasing tobacco and nicotine um, products to 21 in the state. And I actually was the major backer of that idea here in Lane County that kind of led that effort. In fact, I was the initiating uh, of that effort when we um, first were doing a uh, community health improvement plan for the first time when I was a commissioner on the board um, way back, you know, somewhere about 2012, when the folks from our health and human services department were asking about what, you know, things I thought we might be able to do. And they were presenting some of what they thought, and they were talking about some ideas they had around tobacco prevention. And a lot of what they had to do, they were proposing to do was, um, not what I thought were very effective and also kind of infringements on, on um, uh, free market, so to speak. Um, things like advertising restrictions and where you could you, you know, display restrictions in stores and all that stuff. They got into how you actually sell the tobacco. Um, and, uh, you know, I, my concern was really the issue is about not letting kids have it so they don't get started because once they're once they're addicted to the nicotine, it's very difficult to stop. So I really supported the idea of raising the age of purchase up to 21, um, because I knew that was going to be one of the most impactful ways. Because if you can delay people from starting any sort of nicotine product use, you know the the later people get in the age, the it, drops almost exponentially the chances that somebody will be an adult and a lifetime user of nicotine products and have the addiction. So, you know, if you get the age 25 and you haven't smoked or used nicotine products, it's like 97% you never will. 
So, you know, trying to delay that onset and, and moving it to 21 is partly about also the major source for folks under 18 for getting nicotine and tobacco products was their peers and siblings that were between 18 and 21. <laughs> In fact, a lot of them made money that way, um, selling to minors. But really, um, one of the reasons I supported Tobacco 21 is if you look at, you know, Google um, human brain development um, by age, and you'll get you'll get all sorts of results and stuff like that. But there's lots and lots and lots of papers and information out there. Basically, the human brain continues developing up to age 25, and teenagers at that point in time, and the last part of the brain that develops is the frontal lobe. And the frontal lobe is basically, you know, the oversized frontal lobe is one of the things that makes humans human and differs us from a lot of other um, species uh, and, and, and other mammals. It's just how big our frontal lobe is. So the fact that that's the last place that has, you know, strong development, it's, you know, there's some things in there. And what happens in, in teenagers is they, they haven't developed and they're not thinking with the prefrontal cortex that adults do, which is where rational thought and the ability to um, understand long-term consequences and decision-making, i.e. impulse control, um, resides. And most adults over age 25, their thought comes from that prefrontal cor cortex. If you're under 25 and, and as you get younger down towards 16, um, you think with a part of the brain that's tied to emotion. It's one of the reasons why when you ask a teenager, what were you thinking when you did that? They can't tell you what they're thinking because they weren't thinking they were having an emotional reaction. So that inability to, to process things with rational thought and long-term consequence, particularly for something that's addictive as nicotine, that's one of the reasons why I supported moving it to 21. And it's one of the reasons why I actually would support moving the entire age of majority up back up to 21, reversing the 26th amendment and moving the voting age to 21 and moving a lot of um, things that you can do to 21. Uh, because really uh, it's difficult for a, you know, even at 21, you still don't have complete development of that prefrontal cortex. But at least you've gotten to the point where you're you're in that mix of being more rational than emotional. And you can understand long-term consequences of some of the decisions. And there's probably nothing that has more long-term consequence than your decisions of voting for your representative leadership that's going to draft laws that will be on the books forever. And anyone that wants to know about laws that stay on the books forever only has to search, you know, back to, you know, laws about spitting on sidewalks you know, um, and things like that, that that have survived from, from you know, the, the founding of our nation to even some laws that really go back to old England. That, you know, law, laws kind of have a way of, of living forever. And usually when you're voting, you're voting on people that are going to make law. So understanding the long-term consequences of, of that is kind of an important thing. Ability to enter into a contract without a co-signer 
you know, which, you know, you think about some of these kids that get into major debt before age 21 and never get themselves out of it. That's just, you know, kind of, um, you know, one of those things you really, um, you wonder about. Why do we let people that are driven purely by emotion don't think things through because they're not using the thinking part of their brain allow them to commit to uh, long-term consequences like uh, being able to run up credit card debt, being able to sign for college loans and make themselves responsible for the rest of their lives. And, and some of those decisions without being co-signed maybe by an adult or somebody that can um, think through the rational side and talk with them, talk through the rational side with them. So, I'm kind of curious what some of you think about um, that issue. Do you think we should be raising the age of majority or are you kind of with the, the idea maybe we ought to be lowering it even further? You know, one of the things that's kind of interesting is hosting foreign exchange students. I hosted folks from countries where they have varying, um, differing age when you, you're allowed to do something. And it kind of gives you an eye-opening thing. In Germany, you're allowed to start drinking alcohol basically about age 13 um, without any real consequence. But you're not allowed to get a driver's license until you're 18. So they basically let these kids go through all the stupidness and get over the fact that they're going to, you know, binge drink whatever else. And, and have five years of being able to get that out of their systems before they put them behind a, you know, couple ton moving weapon. And and they tend not to have the issues so much uh, there. Um, so it just it's kind of an interesting, you know, differential that you see from from uh, culture to culture and society to society when they think people are responsible. Now, do I think it's a good idea to allow 13-year-olds to drink alcohol? No, because, in fact, there was just a study that came out the other day that shows that alcohol use during those brain formative years actually changes the long-term um, uh, brain development and ends up um, causing issues with um, fear and other issues um, related to not being able to process fear well where they, they – you, you, you'd be um, less risk adverse. <laughs> Which kind of think about it, some of the folks that I knew that drank as teenagers kind of stayed that way as adults, you know, where they just, you know, honey, hold my beer. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of interesting cross-section of science and politics and policymaking. When you start talking about changing or or setting an age of when somebody's allowed to do something. You know, the libertarian in me says, well, we should let people decide when they're responsible. You know, why should we have an arbitrary limit? Because, you know, everyone makes the argument about some teenager they know that's running a multi-million dollar business that they started at, at you know, as a 13 year old. And now at, at, at 16, they're, they're a multi-millionaire and, you know, uh, a CEO of a, of a corporation, um, that's 
the exception, not the rule, but you know, there are ways of, of, you know, maybe working around that. Still don't know if I want that 16 year old voting, <laughs> you know, cause, cause if you're going to let that one vote, you have to let them all vote because we can't have something like that be by exception. You might be able to emancipate somebody early as far as being able to sign contracts. That's a little bit different issue. Um, but you look at just private industry, how old do you have to be to rent a car? 25. Now, when does the brain finish developing and you have rational thought can understand long-term consequences? Hmm, 25. You think the rental car companies might be onto something? Think about when you start getting breaks in your car insurance from the car insurance companies. If you're male in particular, you won't see those breaks till you get past 25. Impulse control, full brain development, using your prefrontal cortex. So, you know, really it's an interesting thing to think about that there's and there's this bill that, that um, is in the legislature kind of introduces that into the conversation. Should people be allowed to vote at 16? Should we restrict people's ability to have a firearm till 21? You know, where do you draw those lines? Was tobacco 21 a good law? You know, and I kind of wonder about that. And, uh, you know, I, I know my my position on this may not be necessarily the popular one. And I know my fellow folks that are libertarians probably think I'm nuts because I'm willing to set that arbitrary point. But I think I've got a good scientific uh, background on why I think that's important why 21 is probably a good spot to be you know at 21 it you know it's pretty easy to say you're using enough of that prefrontal cortex to be rational and you've had enough life experience at that point to understand you know getting mad at your boss and walking out may not be the best thing in the world if you want to continue you know being able to pay your rent <laughs> and all that stuff and, and being able to sign a lease with a rental company, you know, where private free market private side actually quite often won't let people, you know, depending on the rental company, they won't let people under 21 sign a lease. So just to, you know, food for thought out there, if anyone has any thoughts on 21, 18, 16, 25, where they think the limits should be drawn, kind of gets in this whole conversation back when Obamacare, I should say the Affordable Care Act was coming into place, and they were allowing people to to keep their children in it insured up to age 26. So, you know, that kind of hits that another, you know, arbitrary age limit. You know, when we set these arbitrary age limits in law and use them in policy, you know, why do we have those those limits? But if you have an age that you think should be the age of majority, or if you have one of these issues you think should be changed or we shouldn't change it or we should actually raise it, um, you know, give me a call, 646-721-9887. Just press one, and that lets us know you want to talk and you're not just calling in to listen. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one, and uh, that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. 
So I just thought I'd take a breath here for a minute, Robin. I'm curious, what do you think? Is it 21? Is it 25? Is it 18? Is it 16? When do you think the age majority should be? Well, that depends if you're talking about smoking or people in D.C. (laughs) Well, you know, we have a restriction of when you can actually run for U.S. representative. There's an age limit there. And U.S. Senator, too. Yeah, but maybe they should compare the frontal cortex. Yeah, they should. I just wonder where the rational thinking is sometimes, Um, especially as you listen to uh, some of the folks there that that seem to be thinking um, emotionally. And speaking of emotionally, now I'm going to switch gears a little bit and get into a topic that, that Robin and I discussed off the air that I didn't kind of promo for the show, but it's something that's kind of got on both of our minds and, and, and seems to be this emotional reaction of um, states taking up lawsuits against the federal government, mostly because they just don't like who the current administrator is. And, and I'm not going to pick on, I, I saw some lawsuits from conservative states under the Obama administration that were not too different. And I kind of wonder when a state sues the federal government or sues, you know, somebody, you know, do they check in with the citizens somehow or another and, and say, you know, are you guys okay with us spending money on suing another branch of government that you guys had a voice in voting to elect, you know, you know, cause really it, it's, one elected body soon another that we all voted in all those elections. So it's kind of um, really kind of makes you scratch your head. Although, you know, I participated as a commissioner in authorizing lawsuits that involve other branches of government too. So I kind of get, you know, so it's, it's kind of a question even for me too, you know, cause one of the things that's, you know, been in the news lately is our um, membership in the association of, ONC counties and the fact that the ONC counties association through money that Lane County is paying is suing the federal government over the expansion of the Siskiyou National Monument into some ONC designated lands. Um, And we made that decision based on the fact that those lands were set aside for counties um, and by an act of Congress that predates the Antiquities Act that allows the president to even declare a national monument, let alone expand one by executive order. So the question is, is which which constitutionally takes precedence, the 1937 ONC Act or the Antiquities Act that was passed in the 60s? Um, so that'll be an interesting discussion. So the more recent one that kind of brought this up to Robin and I seems to be kind of this emotional reaction by states that were kind of on the wrong side of the presidential election to sue the federal government over federal government policy decisions. And the recent one is that there are 16 states now suing um, the federal government over the emergency declaration to fund the border wall. And, uh, you know, I, that, that particular, not that I really liked that act of Congress that allowed, allowed for that executive action to take place. Um, because it kind of usurps some of Congress's, you know, um, ability because it was written too loosely. 
should have been written much more tightly about um, actions that involve um, foreign actors and, and several other things. But it just, uh, you know, who authorized that? You know, did Ellen Rosenbaum and uh, Bloom and 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 the governor, our attorney general and our governor, did they ask the people, say, you know, are you guys okay if we take, you know, several hundred thousand dollars, maybe even a million or so of state money and invest it in suing the federal government along with these other states? Um, you know, is that a wise use of, of resources? You know, or, you know, could we, you know, instead maybe have taken that money and invested it somewhere else in, in uh, services or housing or whatever it is? You know, no one seems to ask that question. And you kind of wonder, um, in fact, the governor's um, budget actually had money set aside for suing the administration in her actual budget. She identified a couple million dollars for the attorney general's office for federal lawsuits. Um, so she was actually preparing for this even before there was an emergency declaration made. But who makes those decisions? Who gets to ask about that? So kind of for me is really, it, it gets back to how important some elections are and how they get ignored by the public sometimes. The attorney general of the state of Oregon is a pretty low profile election. You know, it, it's, you know, generally, it is, if there's an incumbent running, there may be, you know, token opposition um, you know, partly because, you know, what attorney wants to get the ire of the attorney general <laughs> who, you know, runs, you know, the state's legal system. Um, and it, it's, you know, even when it's an open seat, it tends to be a really low key election. So, but it has huge consequence because whoever we elect into that office has that ability to decide to sue the federal government and use our state tax resources for that lawsuit. So for me, it's not so much about, you know, them having the ability to make those decisions is we as voters need to be more careful about who we put in those positions to make those decisions. And the governor actually can't on her own sue um, the federal government. She's got to get the attorney general to agree to do it with her because the attorney general's office is the one that's going to carry out the lawsuit. So it kind of you know gets down to also how important the secretary of state's position is in this in this state and looking at you know we we've, we've had some fairly high profile secretary of state races but not they don't not like the governor's race that set records for spending last year um, and everybody paid attention to the governor's race. Um, the secretary of state's race flies somewhat under the radar, but look at the differences since we had a secretary of state now that is utilizing the audit function of the secretary of state's office and how important that's been with the audits he's been able to, to do for various departments and really bring to light um, and it's it's caused changes that are really, you know, making a big difference in Oregon. You know, whether it's the the um, um, the, the child welfare system that he audited, or it's the um, 
you know, some of the other audits that have come out on, on the marijuana production and all that and the medical um, marijuana um, non-regulation that goes on in this state. Um, you know, we need to learn from those audits and, and we just haven't even been, ha we haven't been generating even the information to learn from because we've been electing folks to that office that weren't going to utilize that audit function well. And we elected somebody that said he was going to utilize that audit, fun audit function and he has. So it's really, uh, those, those kind of positions matter. And, you know, they'll be coming up in another couple of years, those, you know, those non-marquee um, sort of a, a statewide elections and uh, folks need to pay attention. You know, who do you really want there? And do you think that person's going to make good decisions when it comes to suing the federal government? What agencies to audit and, and, and if to even have a robust audit function at all? You know, I just have to say that the um, Secretary of State's office has just really done a lot of great audit work since Dennis Richardson took over. So kind of, you know, when you think about um, emotional sort of reactions, I think some of these lawsuits tend to be emotional because, you know, when it gets right down to it, there's this concept in court where you have to have a, a conflict that is ripe for adjudication which means there actually has to be damages or, or an impact. You can't, um, unless you can say that waiting for that to happen is so damaging that you can get a, a preventive injunction, which is rare for courts, no wait till there's actually conflict. So the actual declaration of the emergency to actually fund the wall, he actually has 1.37 in congressionally um, allocated funding that he can burn through first before he ever gets to any money he shifts around. And until he actually starts utilizing money that's been moved by his actions, most I, I will predict that there's going to be motions for submarine judgment that throw the suits out because they're not ripe for adjudication. So I'm not a lawyer. I've been around a lot of lawyers and involved in enough suits on either end as, as a county commissioner to understand that concept. And I just wonder how much, you know, this is really just about having the headline that they're suing the government and not about the fact that there's actually a, a, a conflict right for adjudication that they get even going to be successful getting to trial with. That, you know, anyone can file a lawsuit and make the headline filing it, whether it'll ever get anywhere in court is a whole different thing. You know, note, can I jump in for a sec? Sure, Rob. Because usually, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of times when a lawsuit is, is uh, presented, it's because of a damage or injury or something like that. And I'm looking at the uh, map of the 16 states that are suing, and a lot of them are not even close to the southern border. So how would it affect them? Yeah, you know, that's you know, the only thing I think they could claim is that, that, that the reallocation of funds from other pro other areas of the federal budget might impact them. And that's that's what I'm saying is they're going to have to show some connection to damage. As far as trying to make this constitutional argument, 
the law that allows presidents to make these emergency declarations, which, by the way, the Obama administration used about 16 or 17 times, although his use of it was mostly about freezing assets of various foreign country actors uh, like um, Libyan dictators because they you know, took action against the, their own population in some way that he felt was important to sanction. And the emergency declaration was around being able to do those sanctions without having to go through the congressional declaration of the sanctions. Uh, he did it multiple times um, for multiple different um, foreign actors. Um, not sure if that was good use of it. Uh, it's been used by past administrations before him ever since it was made law during the uh, Clinton administration, I believe it was signed into law. But that's, you know, the Congress gave the president that ability to make these declarations. So it's kind of, if the Congress is upset about it and concerned about the constitutional conflicts it creates, maybe they ought to fine tune their law. Or they can have a hat that says the sky is falling. And, and you know, so it's kind of like, I'm not sure they're going to win the, the constitutional argument on this one. Um, and, and then even to show that there's a conflict that is a, that can rise to being adjudicated. My guess is there'll be a, there'll be a circuit court that'll take it up. You know, something the Ninth Circuit's you know favorable to you know this kind of suit, and they've taken up plenty of other ones. And they may even get to the point of issuing an injunction or something like that. But my guess is it will go up the ladder and get slapped down. Yeah, you know, and that and that'll continue to happen for quite a while might you know so it's kind of one of these things like it's really about the headline it's not about the actual legal conflict because it really hasn't it's not ripe for establishing a legal conflict yet so you know right now it's just a piece of paper so with the lawsuit filed do they have to stop construction or do they have to wait for an injunction They'd have to have an injunction. Yeah, he, he can he can continue moving. And don't forget, he's got $1.3 billion or something that they granted in the first place. Right. In, in, in the, the continuing resolution that they passed to prevent the shutdown from happening again. So he's got to, he can burn through that. Apparently, there's some prior allocated funds he can burn through before he ever has to get to the funds that he might take by this emergency declaration. And if I were in the administration, that's exactly the way I would start pulling the funds and be very clear about the pathway of what funds they were using just to kind of push down the road when they can actually have their day in court. Exactly. You know, and, and, and pretty hard, you know, the, the, the bar for issuing a preemptive injunction is pretty high. You have to really show that there is, that there is, major harm that will happen if an action is allowed to take place. And and like you said, for Michigan, how do they establish that nexus that if um, the Trump administration takes some Defense Department funds uh, and spends it on the construction of the wall? Yeah, because Michigan looks like it's, it's in immediate danger. You know, with the Great Lakes and everything. Yeah. 
organs the same. How do we, and, and in particularly for Oregon, there's no major defense department um, bases or installations in Oregon. So if they start taking from the defense department budget, what is the damages to Oregon? Um, is that, is that a trick question? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's, that's what they're going to have to prove to get an injunction. Uh, we can put a fence around California. <laughs> well, I, I, I've heard that there's folks that want to put a wall on the Southern border of, of, uh, Oregon there along the California border, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or if you remember that old commercial about, well, now, where do you think you're going with all that beer? Where we, people thought we actually had an Oregon Border Patrol. Yeah. Yeah, we we sort of do. <laughs> it's called the Oregon Liquor Control Commission. Yeah. And it's mostly about liquor coming from all those huge liquor stores just south of the border. That, that don't have the OLCC's 105% markup on. <laughs> yeah. And it's the one thing that's cheaper in California than Oregon, especially expensive booze. Because as you think about 105% markup, it's on the, on the cost of the, the original cost of the bottle where the, the tax on alcohol is, is based on the content of al- you know, the number of, of uh, ounces of alcohol actually in the booze. So the, the alcohol tax is the same for an expensive fifth of liquor as it is for a cheap fifth of liquor of the same proof. So um, in Oregon, though, the tax on the expensive one is, you know, twice is, you know, is 105% of the price of that expensive bottle and the tax on the cheap bottle is 105% of the cheap bottle's price. So you pay a hell of a lot more tax on expensive booze. So you'll see people stopping at those uh, giant um, department store size liquor stores on the, on the California border and buy a bunch of expensive booze and drive into Oregon. And, and you know, the OLCC, I think, tries to keep an eye on that and make sure people aren't actually buying too many cases and reselling them and stuff like that. But, um, you know, that's probably the closest thing to the Oregon Border Patrol we have. That and the Department of uh, Oregon Department of Ag and uh, Fish and Wildlife to try and keep an, an eye on on uh, invasive species and uh, zebra mussels coming with boats and things like that. So, if you're going to get in trouble coming into Oregon, those are probably the things you're going to get busted for. <laughs> um, if I can change the topic real quick here. Sure. Uh, we talked last week about the proposed employer tax in Eugene. Oh, yeah. I just had my taxes done, and uh, I had it done by a tax prepared company. I won't mention the name because they made an honest mistake. And it's the transportation tax that is not showing up on your W-2 yet because it doesn't need to be claimed. But the uh, major company that did my taxes went ahead and go, oh, it's not on there. So you need to cut a check to Salem for $31, and of course we proved them wrong. Now I have to have my taxes amended. But a lot of people aren't aware of that. Or just like for the ITAX in Monoma, I cannot pronounce that city, Montnoma County, yeah. um, they didn't know about it. You know, they voted in, and then they had trouble collecting it. And then they finally got rid of it. 
And that's what a lot of people aren't aware of, the transportation tax that they got to pay and start collecting for. I think uh, starting in October is when you have to start um, claiming it. Um, actually, um, are you talking about the mass, the state mass transit tax? Yes. Yeah. Employers had to start collecting that last July. Right. And we had to make our first payments to the state at the end of the quarter, the, the third quarter of 2018. I know this because I do payroll. Yeah. My wife's business. Yeah, form uh, ORSTI-B. Yeah, yeah. So, and I don't know about self-employed folks, how that works out, because I haven't had to do self-employed taxes for a while. Um, but I imagine they're getting caught with that that tax. But um, yeah, there are a lot of employees. You know, when they first they told us we had to start withholding it. Uh-huh. You know, that last July, and I, we talked about this on the show. There were no instructions on how we were supposed to pay it. Right. Yeah, it took took like a couple months into when we were collecting it for them to finally go. Oh, we got this new form, um, Oregon STT something or other one that you have to fill out. Um, and uh, it's going to be on a quarterly basis. Yeah. And it's been a pain in the butt for me because it's such a small percentage of, of employees payroll and we pay our tax. We pay every two weeks. So the withholding we're doing for employees is based on two weeks of pay on this percentage. But then on the quarter, you're paying on a full quarter of the employee's salary. So the rounding areas errors for the every two week withholding can be, you know, five, six, seven, eight cents off in a quarter for each employee up or down. And so you're having to make all these adjustments, um, you know, where you've over withheld with an employee and all that stuff. It's just, it's a nightmare. It's, 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 it's one of those little nightmare niggling things as an employer that makes you go, Jeez, I don't know why I'm running a business. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I'm employing people and signing the front side of paychecks. You know. But uh, you're supporting the overall economy of the big government. Yep, and it's always nice to be your own boss. That's true. Being other people's bosses though gets a little bit dicey at times. <laughs> which kind of leads me to this whole um this pay equity law that the legislature passed in the short session, you know, they're not supposed to pass big things. They were only supposed to be doing adjustments to the budget and all that stuff, but they passed this huge thing that required pay equity, but the law was so vague that no one knows what it really means. And we're not getting any guidance from the Bureau of labor and industries that does the the labor law stuff. And we're not sure if um, we're allowed, you know, our union contracts have, you know, for public employees have things called steps where if you finish a year, you know, and you you have a satisfactory performance evaluation, you move up a step in your pay scale. And a lot of them have, you know, like nine steps and then you reach the top step of your pay scale. And the only way you get a raise is if we raise the actual pay range or um, do cost of living adjustments in the contracts and one of the concerns is that law is so vague we're not sure if we have a man on step eight let's say with the same exact job description as a woman 
who we hired, you know, two years ago and is only on step three. Do we, because they're both working with the same exact job description, do we have to move the woman up to step eight so we have pay equity, even though she doesn't have the same number of years? Is longevity pay annual? Is is it legal any longer? Now, my argument is that if the woman were here that same number of years, she'd be making the same as the man. Doesn't matter, man or woman, in that case. It's about what's the union contract, what's the job description you fit in. You get paid on that pay scale, and you get paid based on on longevity, based on the step system. But there's a chance, and we're you know that we may have to move everybody up to whatever the highest step is. Uh, because if we've got men at that step, we'll have to move all the women up to that step too. And then you have to move all the men too to pay equity. And and that alone costs public agencies in Oregon millions of dollars. Yeah, but, but see, you don't have to worry about it because AOC says you don't even have to work. <laughs> and, and and let's be, let's, let's call her, you know, you know, representative, uh, Cortez or you know whatever you know I don't know AOC to me is the Association of Oregon County so <laughs> we talked about this last week it's getting to be hard to be the Association of Oregon Counties because everyone thinks of AOC now as this person that thought that um, there's now three billion dollars that the state of or that New York City and the state of New York have that um, they were going to give to um, <laughs> to uh, Amazon to locate there in Long Island. And uh, she didn't understand that that was just a $3, million, $3 billion reduction in the $12 billion in taxes they were going to be paying or something. And, it, and if they're not there, there's not $3 billion in the bank somewhere that they, you know, this, this you know, tax incentive that they were going to provide to Amazon. Um, <laughs> and now we're getting confused with somebody that has that kind of math skill um, the Association of Oregon Counties. So, um, but it just, this whole pay equity thing is just so vague and it's kind of like this, this state transit tax thing. Um, it really bothers me when there's not good, clear lawmaking. And this gets back to that prefrontal cortex. Thinking logically and with long-term consequences in mind. You can't legislate without thinking of long-term and unintended consequences. And, you know, it was emotional. We have to have pay equity. And, and, you know, by God, they managed to get everybody bought into that because the damn bills passed nearly unanimously. And And they passed mostly because they were vague about what pay equity is. But when it gets right down to it, when it gets into court, because they're so vague, we could be faced with that situation where suddenly what takes precedence, the Oregon Collective Bargaining Act, Public Employees Collective Bargaining Act, or this pay equity law. Are we allowed to pay people on on longevity and by steps? You know, which, which which is more important? And the only way it's really going to get hammered out is if somebody takes it all to court. And I don't want to be necessarily the test case for that, but 
if we move everybody up to the same step, I'm going to have a huge hole in my budget here in Lane County. And we, without the pay equity issue, we were projecting a balanced budget again with no service cuts, which is a pretty amazing thing because that's even with all the increases that we provided in our collective bargaining contracts as it is, the COLAs, um, some of the pay range changes we've made as part of our Yeah, I think we lost our feed. Show we're still on the air. I think As we pause temporarily in the Bose Nose show for technical difficulties while Robin checks the wires on the back of her computer, um, all of a sudden time has stopped. Is it your is it your on stream on the air timing that stopped for you? Because mine's still counting. Yeah, no, mine mine's still counting too. I think uh I think just I don't know, Facebook or somebody just just stopped. Okay, so our Facebook live feed may be down, folks. Oh we're Sorry. still broadcasting. But we're still broadcasting and we'll still archive the rest of the show on um multiple places, including you can you know, go to iTunes and and, and pick us up off of iTunes. Yeah. Um, so, and you can just go back to the um, Blog Talk Radio website and listen to past shows. Uh, the episodes are there, all of them available to listen to. So if we're not going through Facebook Live right now, um, know that you can go to the show and listen otherwise. Yeah, we are, we are going through Facebook Live and we are on the air, so... Everything's okey It just kind of hiccuped for a second where everything just stopped. Well, while we're stopped, why don't I invite people to call in and they can tell us what they think of everything from lowering the voting age to pay equity laws that are vague to uh, state transit taxes to suing the federal government at 646-721-9887. Just press 1. And let's just know you want to get on the conversation again. That's six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven, and just press one. I got and one it, thing for you. Sure. I got my motorcycle renewal um, in the mail. I got to pay eighty bucks to renew a motorcycle. Yeah, that was House Bill twenty seventeen. Jesus. And, and thank you very much. Uh, we will get. Um, 30% of that will be distributed amongst the 36 counties. Oh. So that helps us pay for our roads so that, that you'll have a smooth road to ride on. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for that smooth road part. Yeah. So with the last few minutes here in the Bose News Show and all, I just want to remind folks that I, as the immediate past chair of the Lane County Board of Commissioners, am going to Washington, D.C. this weekend to participate in our United Front trip with the city of Springfield, the city of Eugene, Willamette Lane, the Springfield School District, and a couple, and Lane Transit District, and a couple other local partners here. We have something we call the United Front. The partners that are in it vary from year to year based on who's got federal issues they need to go back and lobby for. 
but we go back as a group and, and with an agreed upon um, kind of agenda we're going to lobby for. And um, we go around to various offices and meet with, you know, probably going to meet with both senators and uh, Representative DeFazio while we're back there. But we also get around to the actual agency departments and all that. So we talk into some of the people allocating funds, making grants, um, you know, that have, you know, some control in the rulemaking process, whatever it is we're trying to influence. And that is why I will probably not be doing the Bo's Nose Show live next week, Wednesday at four o'clock, because I will be in Washington, D.C. Uh, lobbying folks. Uh, if I get a chance, I am going to try and at least record an update from Washington, D.C., maybe to be played next week. Uh, if not, I think Robin might spin up a repeat of a previous episode or something. But just be aware that the Bo's Nose Show will not be live next week from beautiful downtown Elmira or even uh, lovely Washington, D.C., where I was actually born. Um, so, you know, it always cracks me up when I see on Facebook um, describe, um, you know, use a, a scent to describe the city where you were born. <laughs> and by the way, if, uh, if you don't like that rerun, hit that like button and subscribe and let us know and, and encourage Jay to, to at least do a live recording. Yep. Yeah. So we'll try. You know, it'll be seven o'clock East Coast time. I'm not sure if that's the night that we're doing a reception with Representative DeFazio or not. Um, yeah, it's kind of a it's very full days because we're only there for about four days doing this lobbying. So they kind of the the, the um, lobbying firm that we hire um, in Washington, D.C. schedules us like from morning till night with with meetings and and, you know, glad handing, et cetera. Really effective thing. I mean, the, we're one of the few areas that actually does this where we go as a group. And um, we've actually been pretty successful. It's kind of where uh, I got money. There was money that was generated for the 126 um, corridor study between Eugene and Benita that was generated because of the United Front trip. Some of the money that's gone into the I-5 Beltline interchange and into some of the, um, you know, on the federal side was that way. A lot of money that's come through. Uh, LTD and, and some other issues is, has come from those trips. So it's, it's, it's always a good thing to go back there and at least ask for what you want. Because otherwise, they're going to do what they want to you. <laughs> so you want to tell them what you want done to you. So hopefully you uh, learned something on the Bose Nose Show today. We'll be back two weeks from today live at 4 o'clock hopefully from beautiful downtown Elmira. Hopefully I'll get a little report in from Washington, D.C. next week. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Talk to you in two weeks. I got a couple minutes to get into my meeting. I kept trying to turn my volume off on my wristwatch.
was trying to eject water or something like that. <laughs> oh, there it goes. Now maybe I can get it to work. <laughs> there we go. I'm going into a meeting, so I was going to mute it anyway. Okay. Now when you get back, um, I want to try uh, Google Hangouts and see if that signals more or if it plays better than Skype. Okay, maybe we can do a test show or something like that. Yeah. So I get back Thursday night late next week. So if you want to try and do a test or something over the weekend, you can just give me a buzz. Okay. And uh, you just want to let me know if if you're able to do anything. Yeah, yeah. And I, it may be just something where I, I, I've got a note-taking thing I can use on my phone and I can record something and send you the file. There you go. Or you could be a rig dancer and grab somebody for an interview. Yep, I could. Use yeah. my phone. Just do a Facebook Live thing, and then you can use that. Live from D.C. Yeah, if I can, if I can do it through the page, I'll do that. There you go. Um, are, well, do you have Skype on your phone? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Or, well, yeah, well, let me think about, uh, cause I did uh, think two things at once. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we could do, it'd be interesting. Um, if you did a Facebook live, if I can rebroadcast it at the same time on a different channel. Might be able to, or, or just go through Skype. I don't, I don't know. I'd have to think about how bandwidth would work. Yeah. All right. Well, I got to roll. All right. Well, have fun. I will. Thank, talk courthouse. Thank you for your sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you later. See ya. Bye. Bye.